know he lives in our heart. We see it clearly. We see it clearly. Oh, it doesn't mean we don't have doubts sometimes, oh, huh? We all have doubts. We start taking our eyes off of the one who we have no, we, who we should have no doubt in. We start looking at this flesh that we walk in. And that's where our doubts come, come in. But aren't you thankful that our Lord gave us a picture of him? Something we can look at two or three times a week four or five times a day maybe, something we can go into his word and see. I want to bring a message this morning, one that I brought before, but it's been some time, and it's a message that we preach every Sunday, to be quite honest with you. It's just some different, different verses. It's a picture of our Savior. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the 21st chapter of Numbers, please. Numbers chapter 21. If you were to stand out here in the foyer and look at that wonderful, beautiful picture that's painted, hand-painted, of this church, you would see the buildings, the trees, see the front porch, see Judy's roses, some picnic tables that are no longer here, they've gone away from octagon-looking some trees that were once out here in the front. You'd see, you'd see everything that there's in the picture there, but you and I all know that there's a lot more to what is here around us than just what you can see in that picture, huh? I mean, there's a creek that runs next out, next to the building out here. You can't see in it. And, oh, in the, in the wintertime, after a nice storm, that creek just gets a raging. You know, I stood out here on the edge of it and thought to myself, if I was really stupid, which I am pretty much, but I mean, if I was really, really stupid, I could get in a kayak and try to ride that creek out to Folsom Lake. <laughs> I'll bet you could go all the way if you're a big fool. <laughs> you get my point about the picture? Your mind can start, the, the picture doesn't show that old antique building next door where the post office is and, the, and where they have a hall upstairs. I don't know if you've ever been in the hall stairs next door. It's got the old wooden plank floor. You, you hear it kind of, you just picture people dancing on it and the clickety-clinking of the wood. And maybe a little soft band. No, none of that new electronic stuff with the electric guitar, but you know, acoustic guitar, maybe a violin or something, a banjo, playing on the background of the stage. You see what I'm talking about? A picture. There's way more to what is in reality than just the picture. When we look at a picture as in a farm, you might see a barn or a house, or maybe just a portion of the farm. Maybe you don't see the rolls of hay that are out there in the field, just the, the barn house itself. Or, or maybe you don't see the outhouse next to the, the old house. You know, my grandfather, I, I can picture in my mind, if you, picture, if you painted a picture of the front of his house, you wouldn't see it, but in the back there's an old outhouse. Maybe you might see a lovely vegetable garden. My point is this, that a picture is only part of all that there is. Much of the Old Testament is exactly that. It's a picture, a type. Moses was a picture. He was a type of Christ. Joseph, you remember Joseph? Joseph was one of 
uh, Jacob's sons and his brothers sold him. And then those that they sold him to took him down into Egypt and sold him again down there. He was a picture of Christ. All of the Old Testament sacrifices, all the bloodshed of the animals was nothing more than a picture. It didn't show the whole story. The true picture. The true scene. In Hebrews 10.1, you don't need to turn there. We'll be looking at numbers. But allow me to read for you from First, uh, the 10th chapter of Hebrews, beginning at verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. See, that's the law that God gave Moses. That law that he gave to Moses when he was down there on that Mount Sinai. It was a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of things and can never with those things sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. All of those things, the law, the sacrifices, they were a picture of something else. The law can't save. The animal sacrifices can't save. Only one can save, and that's the one who filled that law completely and perfectly in his own being, and therefore, his blood being shed on that cross is the only blood that God would accept for sin. Everything else was just a picture. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? If those blood sacrifices had been any good, they, wouldn't need a, they would have ceased to be offered. You wouldn't have to do it every year. When Christ sat down, or when Christ went to that cross, he went to the cross once. This is the picture of all those animals. Christ went to the cross one time, shed his blood one time, and that's all that it took. This is important to you and I. This is important to us because we need to know that our sins have been covered. What I'm going to go out and do this afternoon, I need to know is covered. What I may think about tomorrow as I drive on the freeway, I need to know, is that covered too? If you're in Christ, it is. For then would they have not ceased with then would they have not have ceased to be offered, because that worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, in those pictures, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Every year the high priest had to go into the holiest of holies. Every year he had to go in there and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Why? Because every year the sins that he was atoning for did nothing. It did nothing but point the people to the one who could. A picture of the very one who would. For it is not possible, as it says in verse 4, that the blood of bulls of goats should take away sins. Isn't that what God's word says? Wherefore, when he, when our Lord cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then he says this, he says, lo, I come in the volume of the book. And then over in chapter 1 of Hebrews, we read these words, 
and God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Folks, even in the New Testament, our Lord uses pictures. It's not just here in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, he used pictures to speak to the people. They're called parables. That's a picture. It's a, it's a spiritual picture of things in heaven. That's why several times the disciples were confused. What do you mean by that? What, what does this parable mean? What does the parable of the sower mean, Lord? We, we understand what it means to plant seed in rock. It's not going to grow there. We understand what it means to plant seed in, 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 uh, in with the thorns. It, it, the thorns are going to grow up and choke it. What do you mean by this, Lord? Only God can plant seed in good ground. Folks, there's no good ground in us. There is no good ground in us. God has to make something new. This is called the new birth. This is what he does to each and every one of us. My message this morning is a picture of salvation. Oh, is that not what we want to do every Sunday? See the picture of our Lord, how he saved us from our sins, how all the stuff that we've done this week can be put away. We don't have to carry it with us. We confess it before the Lord, and he takes it upon himself. I do this all the time. I hope you do too. And if you're a child of God, you are and you will. If you don't, you need to get on your knees and ask for the Lord for mercy. If you don't have to ask the Lord for grace and mercy in what your life is, you need to get down on your knees and ask him for it. And if he's given it to you, you know he's given it to you. You are experiencing grace because you can say to you, you can say to yourself as you're in that closet praying for God's mercy and forgiveness of what you've done this week, you can say, I know my Lord is true. He shows me the truth in his book. Israel was not all Israel. Paul said that many of the people were of this world and they were not of God. God used the people as a spiritual picture, as a picture of spiritual Israel, the Jerusalem of God, the bride of Christ, the loved of God. And this morning we we're going to look at a type, a picture of salvation of God's people. Now look with me, if you would, at verse 4, Numbers chapter 21, beginning at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor, this is the people of Israel. These are those that God used as a picture of all of Israel, all of God's chosen people throughout all time. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Oh, much discouraged because of the way. In verse 5, and the people spake against God and against Moses, wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. God had given his chosen people, those to picture his people throughout all time, bread to suffice them. And it wasn't good 
that the way the world is? Trust in me, says the Lord. Believe upon me, saith the Lord. That's not good enough. I've got to have something to do. What do I have to do to be saved, saith the world? Well, if you come to church every Sunday, if you get into this pool and get baptized, if you come down here to the front and say a prayer with me, if you send $5, what must I do to be saved? That's our nature. That's what we are. I don't want to do it God's way. The bread from the Lord is not enough. I've had loved ones tell me who have come to this church, say, I don't want to go there. I'll go somewhere else because I need more to do. There's a lady who came to this church quite some time back, and I won't use any names. We went to her. Bill and I went to her several years later. Oh, nice to see you again, man. We haven't seen where you been? Well, I've been down here at this church where I can work with the children. Oh, well, how's that working out? Are they preaching? Well, you know, not really. I mean, you you got to get kind of past all that. No, you don't. No. Either God's word and the message of Christ and Him crucified is good enough for you, or you're not of God. And I know that's kind of bold for me to say that. But that's the truth, folks. That is the truth. If you are of God, his word, the story of who he is, the picture of our Savior, because salvation is of the Lord, is it not? All of salvation is of him. And that picture is good enough for me. Is it good enough for you? Verse 6, and the Lord sent fiery serpents. Fire, oh, God sent fiery serpents into my life. Lord, cut my legs out from underneath me if you have to. Careful what you pray for. Whatever it takes, Lord, bring me to look to you. If it's fiery serpents, so be it. It's for my good. If you have to witness me go through torment and torture, maybe it's for your good. Maybe it's for somebody else's good. Maybe, maybe the towers of New York had to fall so that one of God's children would see that and say, oh, where do we go? The only place you can go. The Prince of Peace. sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses. Oh, here is the world slamming against me. My little ship is getting overfilled with the, with the, the, the floods, the, the winds blowing the waves over me. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray for us. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Here's that picture. The picture of salvation. Our Lord prays for us. Father, he says in verse 6, 17, uh, chapter 17 of John, Father, 
I pray not for the world, but I pray for them, those that thou hast given me. All of you that belong to him. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten. Now I'm going to ask you something. Stop right there for one second. Do you think that those who weren't bitten look to that pole? Oh, man, I got to look to the pole this morning. I got bit by the snake. The other guy in the same household, ah, you go ahead. I'm out of here. I'm on my way to work. I'm going to go down to the, the local pub and hang out with the guys that aren't bitten. Think about that. When we're suffering, when we're facing something that is just a great turmoil in our life, can we not thank our Lord for bringing us to the point to look to Him? Our brazen servant on the pole. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. How many of those people that were bitten thought to themselves, maybe, are you serious? I, I, I mean, I can feel the poison coming up in my leg. I can feel, you know, a fiery serpent. You know what that means? That means it burns. That means the, 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 the venom in your bloodline is burning. That's what a fiery serpent is. you got the blood coming up in your leg. It's heading for your heart. You can feel the death coming to you. You can feel it. It's coming. How many of them thought to themselves, why would I go look at that stupid thing that Moses put up out there? How's that going to save me? That's exactly where every one of us were before God came to us and brought us to look to him. Everyone. I was burning. I was burning with poison in me. And I didn't know it. In fact, I loved it. I picture a guy sitting on a pole or on a mast of a ship in the storm. Yeah, that's right. Forrest Gump. And the storm just slamming him left and right. And he's ah! Thinks he's standing up to God. There's a lot of proud men like that in the world, aren't there? You know what? There's a lot of proud women just like that, too. And Moses made a serpent. Verse 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beget, beheld the serpent, Now this is the very picture our Lord chose to give that religious Pharisee, that one who practiced religion, and oh, he was good at it too. You know he was good at it. You know he to be a Pharisee, you got to show up every worship day. If it's a Sunday, you got to be in church at all time, every time. You got to be there every day, every time they come to worship. You got to be there, dressed in your garb, dressed in your best. 
ready to be a servant to the people. You're a good Christian. Got to be a good Christian. That Pharisee boy, he was good. His name was Nicodemus. You know about him? And we'll look at that in the third chapter of John in a moment. But first, let's consider the condition of the people and this brazen serpent and how it could be a picture of the one who saved his people. I'm going to read some for you, and I'm going to refer to some verses, and you'll be happy to, I'll be happy to give you these verses at the end if you'd like. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to read through them. The people rebelled against God. That's in verses 4 and 5. They were discouraged because of the way. They were discouraged because here we had it so good. We were slaves, yeah, but we had it good. We, we, we knew what tomorrow was going to bring us. We knew that guy was going to whip us with his whip tomorrow. But out here, we don't know what's going to happen. Out here in the wilderness, we just don't know. We don't know where the food's going to come from. It looks like there's no food around. We don't know where the water... It's desert. Where's the water going to come from? They couldn't... Do you know when the Lord told Abraham to leave his people, he had no idea. Where am I supposed to go, Lord? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Okay. What am I supposed to do tomorrow, Lord? Don't worry about it, John. I'll lead you the way. I'll show you the way. Oh, I'm going to make plans for tomorrow. But oh, how often does God step in and show us that his plan is what's going to happen? We planned on seeing Bill that Friday night, didn't we? I'm sure thankful for God's plan. I miss my brother, but I am so thankful that he stands with our Lord today and no sin in him. I look forward with a glee in my heart to the day when I can serve my Lord perfectly like our brother Bill. When I don't have any more of the sorrow of the flesh to deal with and I can stand before my Lord and say hallelujah in perfect harmony. Instead of like I am today, rebelling against my God. I do. I think I know better sometimes. That's rebellion. These folks, they were discouraged because of the way the people had chosen to go a certain direction, which was smooth and easy, but they chose a direction that was away from Canaan, and the Lord let them go. Jonah chose to run from God. And God let him go. He could have stopped him. He could have stopped him right there, but God had a way, he had a way to stop Jonah that Jonah didn't have any idea. And if Jonah had any idea of what the way the Lord had in store for him, he wouldn't have ran that way, I'm sure of. It was the way that they had chosen when they were in Kadesh Barna, Barnea. They could have and they should have entered into the land of milk and honey, but their unbelief turned them away. And you can read about that in Hebrews 3.19. Folks, our wanderings in this wilderness are of our own choosing. 
And our father Adam, we chose not to believe God. You don't think I'm right about that? Read Romans 5.12 when you have a moment. We wanted to be our own God, to have our own way. And the consequences of that is death. It's death for the whole race. People spoke against God. In 1 Corinthians 10.9, Paul said they spoke against Christ. They murmured against Moses, God's prophet and leader. Nothing that the Lord or Moses, his servant, had done pleased them. They spoke against the way of God and the word of God. And our generation today is no different. It's absolutely no different. It can't be that way that you're saying up there at rescue. I have a free will. That's, that's saying it's not God's way. That's, that's making it your way, not God's way. Our God says it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Isn't that what he says? Am I wrong? But the world, the world wants to make it their way. We murmur against the Lord. We murmur against his way, his word, and his servants. We have the lust of our own way. Read about that in Isaiah 53, 6, also in 55, 8. It got us in the mess that we're in, yet we still reject God's way and desire our own, don't we? The people found fault with the bread from heaven, the manna, the very picture that we're talking about, the picture of God himself. He says, I am the bread of life. This is the bread from heaven, the true bread. That bread that Moses gave you, that was nothing. That just sustained you for a little bit. The one who will sustain us through eternity is Christ Jesus. What a horrible, condemning, condemning statement to say, our soul loatheth, loatheth this bread. Especially in the light of the fact that that rock, that rock that they drank from was Christ, a picture of Christ Jesus himself. God's gift of life. How many in the world of religion today are content with Christ, the bread of life? I need more. I need something from my disabled son to do. There's nothing there where God's word is preached. I need to go somewhere. I know they don't preach the truth, but that's okay. No. Not to God's children, it's not. Listen to the words of John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, beginning at verse 39, we read these words, Search the scriptures, wherein then the, ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of not come unto me. This is God's word. This is what the Lord's word is, folks. And ye will not come to me that you might have life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. The very religious world of that day strove, striving. What do you mean, eating of your flesh? How can we eat of this flesh and live? Saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And in verse 55 we read this. Our Lord says, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, 
So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. And these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. He went into the very place where people declared to be worshiping him and declared these truths and listened to these next words. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can, who can hear it? How can, I, how can I hear this word that he's saying? This is exactly what the world is. This is exactly what you and I were before the Lord came to us and called us out of darkness by his grace, by the preaching of his word. Blind. Blind Bartimaeus. Right here. That was me. And that was every single one of you if you belong to the Lord. Every single one of us. And we know we were blind. And by his grace we see the truth of his word today. Like Israel of old, the Jews of the apostolic days, we will not have this man to reign over us, nor rejoice in the way, in his way of life. In our text, we read in verses 6 and 7, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Why? Because their sin of murmuring and rebelling against God. God judged the people. He sent deadly poisonous serpents among them, and the people bitten by those serpents died. Our sin has separated us from God. The serpent of sin has left its poison in, in every son of Adam, and death and the wages of sin is upon us. Isn't that what we read in Romans 5, 17 through 19? For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to the condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Folks, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Mercy is taking what we deserve and laying it upon his son. Next, we see how it is God and God alone that provided the remedy in verses 8 through 9, a picture of Christ, our Redeemer. A serpent was made in the likeness of fiery serpents. So Christ, our Lord, was made in the likeness of flesh. That's what it says in Romans 8, 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, Condemned sin in the flesh. Philippians 2, verse 7, we read these words, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Isn't that what God's word says? Our Lord became flesh. He was made of a woman, bone of our bone, and flesh of our flesh, as it says in Luke 24. He was numbered with the transgressors, as we read in Isaiah 53. The serpent of brass had no venom in it. 
It wasn't one of those snakes that was going around biting people. It was a brass serpent. There was no venom in it. It looked like the, the serpents on the ground with all the poison in them, but it didn't have any. Our Lord had no sin in him. That's important. Lay your heart to that, folks, that are saved by God. He had no sin in him. That's important because his blood must be perfect. Only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ would pay for all the sins of all of his people. Only the perfect blood of Christ will satisfy the justice of God the Father. Your blood can't do anything, Roger. Mine can't either. It's tainted. We needed a perfect sacrifice. A, a lamb that is spotless. Perfect before God. Did you know that God said about that lamb? He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> I like that. That means that his blood really did cover all my sin. That means that perfect, spotless lamb of God. His blood was worthy. It was worthy. just save part. It saved all. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I need to hear all. I need to hear all of it gone. Because if these eyes of the flesh are see it every day, do you? Do you see your sin ever before you? Set it at the feet of Christ. His blood is sufficient. There was but one remedy. It was looking to that serpent, that, that brazen serpent. There was one remedy. It was to look to that one brazen serpent that was raised up. Notice that it was raised up above everything. It wasn't men who were up there with it. It was raised up by itself. It was on a pole, way up there, all by itself. That's how our Lord had to go to the cross, by himself. You know, his, his disciples say, he said, you know, the Lord was, you know, I'm going to turn over that. I don't make, I don't, it just came to my mind just, just now, thinking about that very thing. His disciples, God's people, James and John, sons of Zebedee, chosen men of God, loyal apostles, had been walking with the Master. They came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he saith unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy glory. Now listen to this. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. To sit in that glory spot, you got to go to the cross. You got to shed your blood. You know not what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I be baptized with? 
their vanity, they said, yes, we can. And the Lord went on from there to show them that the day would come when they would in him. There is but one Savior, one Redeemer, one Deliverer. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, our substitute. You can read about him in John 14, Acts 4, and John 3. And all the people were required to do was to look to him. God must provide all the remedy fully and completely. His command is this, to look. The command to you and I is the same. Look and live. Listen to the words of 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal. That, I'm sorry, let me read that again. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The remedy, folks, for sin is, is the sufficient and effectual for dying sinners, no matter how severe the case is, it is to look and to live, to look to Christ and live. The common notion is that salvation is for good people. If I could just be good. <laughs> Mike, you back there, you've got a big old smile on your face. You know that, don't you? You, you were learning that for several years. If I could just be good. <laughs> God's people know that we can't, don't we? We are brought to the position. Some of us were brought from the position of standing in the synagogue saying, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like those people outside. Thank you. Some of us know that we were brought from that to the very one over here in the corner who can't even look up our heads and see our Savior. But yet, Savior of sinners, not righteous people? If our Lord is the Savior of righteous, then I lose. I lose big time. But it says in Romans 5, verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more now, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. God's mercy is for the miserable who cannot help themselves. We have no gospel for sham sinners, no pretend professors. Our gospel is for the lost, as Moses' serpent was for those that were hopelessly bitten by the bitten. These Israelites come to Christ. 
So as a picture of salvation, look to God. Look over at John chapter 3 for just a moment. And we're going to look at that uh, picture that our Lord paints for uh, Nicodemus. John chapter 3. And I'll just be another moment. We're almost done. In John chapter 3, you're familiar with this story, but we're going to read it anyway because God's word never gets old. In fact, its mercies new every day to me. Beginning at verse 1, we read in chapter 3 of John, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are, the, that they are wrought of God. Now, many went to the grave that day in unbelief, but yet some were saved. never heard the gospel preached you never heard the truth of God's sovereign grace what do you mean by that John I mean that you don't have what people call free will you come into this world 
only one place for salvation. And that's at the feet of Jesus. The sovereign Lord of everything, including my will. As a child of God who has been enlightened by his word, by his spirit, Please.